0: Revelation chapter 20, and I want to leave with you tonight the verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. God is still on the throne. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it. So here we definitely have the end. There are differences of opinion on the millennium prior to the end, but there are no differences of opinion here. This is the conclusion of the whole thing. This is the end of the world. This is the final judgment. Now it's not the end of John's scene. It's not the end of the book. There are two more chapters that come after this. John sees many other things. But those other things largely relate to the new heavens and the new earth. To what is after. To what is beyond. This is the end of this present evil world. And how does it conclude? Well you see here. It concludes with God sitting on a throne. A great white throne. With every creature, every man standing before him at the great judgment. That's how it ends. Do you see how John puts it? He doesn't just say, I saw a throne. He says, I saw a throne and him that sat on it. It's a throne occupied. Verse 12, they stand before God. So he's not just seen a throne. He's seen the Lord upon a throne. Now, I'm sure you've visited maybe some palaces in your travels, different places. Maybe you've been in important cathedrals or maybe castles and you've been struck by these great chairs, maybe even a throne or two that you've seen, but you know, you never see anybody sitting on them. They're ornamental. They're not practical, and there's no one reigning from them. They're just symbols. The throne is just a symbol. Her late majesty and the present his majesty, they don't sit on their thrones very often, I can tell you. Hardly ever at all. John didn't see a throne, a symbol merely. He is seeing its occupant and him that sat upon it. And his face, he sees his face, his awesome face. This is the last thing that ends the world. The face of God sitting on his throne. Now, of course, as I said, this is the Lord God. Only he Is able to occupy this throne. He has not been ever removed from it. That's what really John's saying. You never read in the in the book of Revelation of an empty throne in heaven. There's always occupied the throne. God's always busy. God's always in business. He's always ruling and reigning and administering his sovereignty he's never been dethroned even when the dragon did his business even when the beasts arose and did their business even when the church was being persecuted and trampled and destroyed god was still on his throne he never left his seat he never ceased to reign now there's a hymn that goes Thou didst leave thy throne. Now while we understand the sentiments that are expressed in that. Bringing out the loving, voluntary humility of the Son of God. It is not theologically true. God has never left his throne. The throne of God has never been unoccupied. Not even when he came into the world. He's still the God reigning on his throne. The throne room of heaven never became empty. There is a chorus that we used to sing whenever we were younger. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Though trials may oppress us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. And that's true. And here it is. This is what John is seeing at the end of time. There he is. He's still reigning in majesty. And he's won the day. And all the creation is gathered around him. That's the God that we serve and worship. The God and Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the book of the Revelation. Has been like a roller coaster ride for us. As we have traveled through it. And there has been a lot of disturbances below. A lot of thrones shook about below. A lot of changing of positions. But in heaven. There is no roller coaster. And no disturbance to the throne of God. Satan has done his worst. He's tried to rebel against God. He's tried to overcome God. He's done everything that he possibly could to do so. With the beast and with the false prophet. And with Babylon the mother of harlots. And all the persecution of the saints. And all the darkness that he brought upon sinners. But God ruleth in the heavens. And he broke through it all. He redeemed his church from the nations. And he makes all men accountable before him at the end. So Satan has not succeeded in any way. He has been utterly defeated. And at last he's cast into the the Gehenna. You know, Gehenna doesn't get occupied until the end. There's nobody in hell at the moment in the Gehenna hell. Completely empty. The souls of men are in, in another hell, in another prison, awaiting the they being cast into the, the Gehenna. The, the fire of sulfur. And at the end. They're all cast into the Gehenna. So God is, is still here. The heathen have raged. The people have imagined a vain thing. The kings of the earth have set themselves together. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Yet I have set my king. Upon my holy hill of Zion. Steadfast and sure there. He rules and reigns. Our God is in the heavens. And that never changes. He hath done. Whatsoever he hath pleased. So that stands out here. It has never been unoccupied. He, he's still sitting there. This awesome feast. Now the evolutionists may think he has removed God from the sovereignty over the nations. The liberals, they may think that they have removed God and blotted him out of man's thinking and out of the school's teaching, but they haven't touched his throne one bit. There may be the progressing philosophy of the God is dead philosophy, but it won't do anything to God on the throne. He still ruineth on the throne. So this is not a new throne. That's what I'm saying. This is the eternal throne. Just being made visibly clear. And all it's glory to all creatures. It's the throne that God has been on. And throughout all time. The sole throne in the universe. The only throne that matters. The throne of the king of kings. And the lord of lords. You remember the book began with this throne. Because whenever John began to write and begin to see his visions, he began to write greetings, grace from God and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne. His throne. And then you remember in Revelation chapter four, after the letters to the seven churches, where does the visions begin? With God's throne, His great throne. And the Lamb comes to this throne. And all in heaven worship at this throne. It's the same throne. The throne that commenced the book. Is the throne that ends the book. And in fact in the new heavens and in the new earth. You still see this throne. God's throne. It ends with it. As it begins with it. And it is that throne that is so often described in the Bible. Thy throne O God. Is forever ever." And ever. Didn't we see that in Hebrews? In our studies? The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The Lord's throne is in the heavens. The Lord is in his holy temple. Now all languages and all cultures and tongues, they know what a throne is. It's not just a chair or a seat. But it is a chair of royalty. A chair of state. And when you see one, you know it. And when you see God's throne, you will know it. And all these people that have been raised from the dead and are surrounding this throne, they now see it. As they never did before. And they don't have to ask, whose throne is this? The atheist doesn't have to ask. The agnostic doesn't have to ask. Whose throne is this? They all know. We see it by faith, of course, in the word of God. We believe it. We're not waiting to the end to get a glimpse of it. Yes, we'll see it in his brightness and radiance then. But we see it now by faith. And we are assured that our God reigneth in the heavens. And Christians believe in the sovereignty of God, you know. You couldn't possibly be a Christian if you didn't believe God had a throne. The book of Revelation then proves God is still on the throne. He hasn't been dethroned. For all of Babylon. The destruction of the beast. And the false prophet. And of the dragon here at the end. Now you see who reigns. Now you see who's sovereign. Now Satan sees. He can't. Dethrone this one. God has the last word. And all are said. Before his face. Every mouth is hushed. God is seen in his reign. And so this is the throne that is at the end of the world and was also at the start of the world. Because, you know, this throne was also at creation. Whenever God said, let us make man. And he exercised his sovereignty over the world and the creation of the world. And he made the earth his footstool. You see, the, the earth is his footstool. God's throne is first. And then he decided he'd make a footstool. And he chose that the earth would be his footstool. It was privileged. And he was going to reign over the earth. Through his man Adam. But he threw that out the window. But the great plan was to reign through his son Jesus Christ. The last Adam. It was there at the beginning. Now it's here at the end. The Lord is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed himself with strength. The world, he has established it and it can't be moved. There were no creatures around it at the beginning. Let us make the world. Let us make creatures. Let us make man. And God made the world. And Now God says at the end, let us, let us judge man. And that's what we have here. The eternal God, King, Creator, Redeemer, Judge. How is God positioned when John sees him? What does John wish to convey to us when he says, Him that sat on it. He sat on it. You know, if a man sits, he's relaxed. If a man sits, he's in control. If a man sits, he's not flustered and going about, you know, concerned and anxious. Sitting is the position of posture, of contentment, of rest, of ease. God has never been in a panic. Never been in a panic. Never been disturbed. He at the end, even, he's still sat. He sits on the throne. Not running about. And we need to see that. Sometimes we get into a panic. But we need to see our Lord sitting on the throne. We get disturbed and oh we run about at our wit's end, you know, like that those sailors on the boat whenever you know in the storm, they're at their wits' end. They're like drunken men staggering about on the boat. There's no sitting there, totally disturbed. We're we're like that. But we have to see our Lord, to whom we are joined by faith, He sits on the throne and He he raids a storm and the child of his throne. Maybe you are disturbed about things, child of God. Maybe you're disturbed about your health. Maybe you're disturbed about your family. Maybe you're disturbed about the state of the church. Maybe you're disturbed about your own heart. You're disturbed about yourself. Maybe you're disturbed about the wicked, about the world, about the way things are going. Don't panic. Look at him who sits on the throne. Don't panic. He's in control. Just trust him. Just trust in him and rest in him. And remember that you're seated with him in the heavenlies. You've entered into the rest through Jesus Christ. You should be seated too. Because you're seated with him in Jesus Christ. So so let us have peace in our Lord Jesus Christ who who reigns forever and ever and shall never be dethroned. Two adjectives tell us something about the nature of this throne which is really telling us about the nature of him who sits on the throne. We're told first of all that it is a great throne. Why, Why would John call it that? I mean he's described it so often but I don't think he's ever used this adjective of it But now he realizes how great it really is. Now that the world comes to the grand conclusion, he realizes that God is the highest, that God is the conqueror, that God is above all the nations and above the dragon and all the rest. Oh, it's a great throne. He left it to the end to put in that word, a great, great throne. And it is great because he that sits on it is great. great. Now John has seen the kings on the earth. He, he's seen no doubt their reigns. Ah, but they were just grasshoppers. God's throne was the greatest throne of all. It has showed itself great through thousands of years of human history. Thousands of years of human history. All of these visions covering the whole the whole history of the world. And at the end, yeah. Lord I have to say it was a great throne, still is. All the rebellion and all the sin and you dealt with it all. all the darkness and all the confusion and you dealt with it all. all the iniquity in the church and that people that you redeemed by the blood of your Son, and you dealt with it all. What a great throne. It's beyond doubt now. great. You remember Solomon's throne? It's very carefully described by the Holy Spirit. In in the word of God, it was a great throne. In fact, that's that's what our English version says. A great throne. He made a great throne of ivory. And he overlaid it with the best gold. It was a glorious throne. It had six steps. That's significant. It'll only ever be a human throne. It'll only ever have the number of a man, a mere man. God's throne is in the heavens. It's not man-made and there's nothing like it. Solomon's throne is just a picture and a type of it. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens. So we, have, we need to know that God has a great throne. Nobody can touch this. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. And so we, we have to see our God on this great throne. There's another very important adjective. It's white. John is so careful with his colors and as I said, nothing's ever black and white here. It's all in color. These video shots. And it was a great white throne. It was gloriously white. That's what stood out about it. It's whiteness. It's pure white. It's brilliant white. Not a speck upon it. Not a stain. So glorious in purity. Glorious in holiness. Glorious in spotlessness. It's white because he that sits upon it is white. Spotlessly white. Righteous, that's what we're thinking about. A righteous, no. In chapter 19, we read that in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Very important. God can never act like the devil. God can never deal with sin the way the devil deals with it. God can never deal with wicked men or with people the way the devil would deal with people. God has to deal in a way of complete righteousness and consistent with justice and mercy and grace and love because he is love. And he does. He deals with all of these things in righteousness. He never becomes deformed or twisted. Because of one action. He's never. You know corrupted. The way we are. Corrupted by sinners around us in the world. We're twisted. And we're deformed. And we're brought through different providences. And sometimes it nearly seems to make us worse than better. But God never goes through that process. Of ever being worse. Or ever being made better at all. He is infinitely righteous. almost pure. Even when dealing with the worst of sinners. Even when dealing with the devil and the demons. He's always maintaining his complete purity and justice. Gloriously white this throne. He shall judge the world in righteousness. That's a very important, very important word. Now that he's sentencing all these creatures. Now that Gehenna is beginning to be occupied. It's a white throne. Completely righteous. It's the throne of holiness. That's what the Bible calls it. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. So all the sin on the earth has not contaminated the throne of heaven. You know there have been wicked men. Who dare to impute to God. Deformity. There have been people who have looked at this world of suffering. This world of woe. They have seen terrible things in life. Dark things. Terrible suffering. And they have imputed injustice to God. There are some atheists who say whenever they see God. If there is a God and they do happen to appear before him. They're going to give him a tongue or two. They're going to scold him. One wicked man he says he's going to slap God on the face. When he sees him. This is wickedness. There is no such reproof of God. It's a white throne. However inexplicable all this world of woe is, his throne has not been contaminated with any kind of sin or injustice. Rather, it's majestic in grace, mighty in mercy, and yet establishing justice and righteousness to you. You see, at the end... God is going to bring in a world where there's no sin, no unrighteousness. And all the darkness is, is going to be cast into the outer darkness. Where alone it may subsist throughout all eternity. But the vastness of the new heavens and the new earth, wherein will dwell righteousness. This white throne begins it as it ends the old creation, so this white throne brings in the new heavens and the new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now as John sees him on the throne, the thing that stands out about him is his countenance from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. John sees the awesome face of God and the effects that that face have on the whole creation. It's the day of the face of God. Now this is a terrible and fearful face to sinners and to a world of wickedness. And you see that in the effects of that face. What does the world that has been stained with the sin of men and of demons This heaven and earth that was corrupted through the fall. What is the effect upon it when it sees God's glorious face of holiness and righteousness? They flee away. God is not removed. The heavens and the earth are removed. God is still on the throne sitting. He's not fleeing away. He's not given up. The earth and the heavens have given up. They they flee. God is a rock, a solid rock, abiding still the same. And the whole creation is moved at his awesome presence. For thousands of years, this earth has been unmoved in the main. I mean, Abraham looked up to the stars and pretty much if you go over to Israel today and look up at the same place, it's the very same stars that Abraham looked at and tried to count. They're very same. Nothing has moved. Nothing has changed or very, 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 very little, even in the mountains of the Earth. They're, they're, they're still the same Mount Moriah and all that. yeah, there are a lot of buildings now upon them, a lot of changing in the fields on the surface of them. But the whole structure of the Earth is in the main uh, for Abraham and us just the same. Mountains seem everlasting. But when God shows his face, they flee away. Who's able to stand? Not even the heavens and the earth. The whole cosmos moves at his terrible face. It flees away. I saw a new heaven, John says in the next chapter, and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth, they they had fled away. They had gone. They had passed away at his face they fled away and there was no place found for them they couldn't be found and they couldn't find a place they were gone for good now if the universe does this that isn't rational and has no soul or spirit if the universe does this what's going to happen to sinners when then at last after a life of sin they finally come to stand before this face Where will they flee? You know whenever it means fleeing, they're seeking safety. There's no safety from a God of justice who judges sin. It's symbolic, of course, of the terror of that day. It's just end time poetry, vision, to illustrate the terror of the end, the apocalypse, the revealing. The revealing of the face of God. The world just want to run. Just want to hide. A hiding place. But notice what it says. There was found no place for them. No place. No place for a frightened earth in heaven. No place for a fleeing earth in heaven. No place for sinners fleeing from the judgment to come. No place to go. No place to hide. None whatsoever. It's an infinitely holy and just face against sin and it manifests its displeasure against sin and this face is terrible. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. This is not a day to appear before the face of the Lord without the forgiveness of your sins. This is not a day to appear before the face of the Lord without Christ, without justification through grace, without having obtained mercy, without having been truly been born again. I will set my face against them, God says. They shall go out from one fire and into another fire and it shall devour them. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. The world perishes. It's burned with fire. It's cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Thy face. So this is imagery from the Old Testament of a fallen world just being consumed by the just the face of righteousness and of holiness, and for sinners outside of Christ, no place will be found. But you're in Christ, for you trust in the Lord Jesus, and He is a refuge in the time of trouble. He is a hiding place in the time of storm. He is the ark of salvation in the judgment floods of the world and in the fires of the the end of the world to come. There is a, a refuge in Jesus Christ. And that is why our Lord Jesus Christ is so valuable to us. So important to us. So essential. How could we ever stand before this face? Without Him. Without Christ. And so we must behold the face of God. Only in the face of Jesus Christ. Because outside of Christ. God is a consuming fire. In Christ. We have acceptance. So keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on trusting in your Savior. Keep on getting the forgiveness of all your sins in his atoning blood. There's one thing that does not pass away. One thing that does not flee. One thing that does not hide and does not disappear. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. There's something in that day that's not passing away. It's the words of Jesus Christ. His promises. The promises of the Gospel. Everything is fleeting. Everything is flying. But there is a word that never changes. A word that is never fleeing. A word that is never ashamed and has to depart and go. No, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall endure forever. And it's the word of the gospel, the word of the promise. My covenant, I will not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. You see this, this one who come back, this conquering king who's returning to the earth, what does it say about him there? He that sat upon him, faithful and true. Even before it says in righteousness he doth judge, before it even says that, it says he's faithful and true. His word is faithful and true. He will keep covenant with his people. He will keep covenant mercy and promise with his saints. And so the gospel promise is firm. His name is called the word of God. So he comes with that which will not flee away. Which will not pass away. His very words. He's the word of God who comes. And all goes before him. But his word abides. For he is the word. The unchanging word. And the gospel promise is firm. And this is our hope, brethren and sisters. Because when that awesome face appears, the promise remains. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. Not into death. Not into the Gehenna. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. The promise remains. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The promise remains. This is my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins. The promise remains. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Not even in that day of the awesome face of God appearing. They shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. That remains. That doesn't fly away. He that believeth on me shall not be ashamed. You know when you're ashamed you want to run away. You want to join the heavens and the earth here. And just fly away and there'll be no place for you if you do. But we we'll not have to be ashamed. He that believeth on me, Jesus said, shall never be ashamed. So keep on believing in the Lord Jesus.